I'm Ali Wine, a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. And I'm Colin Clark, a senior research fellow at the Sufon Center. Colin, it's great to be talking with you. And I want to I want to focus today on uh, a news item that came out in the New York Times in July. I think it was published on July 11th or July 12th, but reporting that China and Iran are close to finalizing a pretty mammoth uh, $400 billion economic and security partnership, which Beijing had actually initially proposed in January of 2016. And this announcement or the speculation around it has renewed anxieties among a number of U.S. observers that Washington is potentially ceding, ceding the region, ceding the Middle East to its principal strategic competitor. Uh, what do you make of that assessment? Is it on the mark? Is it overwrought somewhere in between? What, what do you make of it? I think, you know, in many ways, the United States has forced this issue by, you know, attempting to isolate Iran in the region uh, and enacting this campaign of maximum pressure, mm. uh, as, as you see now, kind of uh, circling the wagons against Iran by marshalling uh, uh, Sunni Arab countries and getting them to, to cut deals with Israel. Uh, Iran likely feels cornered and is reaching out to U.S. adversaries uh, like Iran or, or like China and, and like Russia. And so something that, that we wrote about as well. So, you know, we can talk about the piece that we did in Lawfare. Um, you know, we tried to offer advice on striking that the right balance. Yeah. And and I think that what we tried to get at in the piece is that, you know, necessarily and, and we talked about Russia as well, you know, necessarily as to the extent that Washington is rebalancing or retraining its sites on the Asia Pacific, necessarily, you know, Beijing and Moscow will be able to make a certain military, economic, and diplomatic inroads if they choose to pursue a more uh, active role in the region. But it's not clear that either of them is agitating to replace the uh, United States as the guarantor of regional security order, that it's looking to sort of be the dominant power in the region. And it's also not clear that either China or Russia is strategically savvy enough to emerge uh, unscathed from the political rivalries that are are roiling the region um, any more than the United States has been able to. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, one of the things I've cautioned on on Syria is because everyone says, oh, the Russians are there. They've uh, outmaneuvered the United States. Mm -hmm. every, every action that Putin takes is this master chest stroke, you know, <laughs> genius. And I say, careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Um, you know, Bill Courtney and I have written about uh, Russia's role in, uh, you know, in, in Syria. And so uh, that, that's the way I look at it. If you, uh, if you wanna own Syria, own Syria. Uh, the Russians are really good at breaking things. They're not that good at putting them back together. And this point is really important because there is a tendency, I, I at least feel that in a lot of commentary that I read coming out of Washington, that we imbue Beijing and Moscow with almost, and, and Beijing in particular, with almost mystical powers of strategic foresight. but. You know, China and Russia are no more immune to hubris and short-sightedness. And, you know, if you look at China, as it expands its economic footprint in the Middle East, it's going to be more and more difficult for Beijing to maintain this avowed commitment to non-interference. It's going to be more and more difficult for China to, on the one hand, strengthen relations with Iran, but also strengthen relations with uh, avowed competitors or even adversaries of, of Iran. And then turning to Russia, you mentioned Syria. I mean, initially, when Russia became a decisive external actor in Syria and Libya, there was a sense that it had outmaneuvered the United States. But in light of volatile oil prices, in light of the pandemic, in light of just the, the flux in Libya and Syria, it seems that these uh, external you know, machinations in Libya and Syria may actually boomerang against 
uh, Moscow and drain its coffers even further. Yeah, precisely. Um, and, and I think that's absolutely right. And if you've watched what the Russians have done lately in Libya, they haven't been faring that well. In fact, yeah. um, has, has turned the tide there. Uh, Russia is relying more on uh, asymmetric means, disinformation, uh, mercenaries vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Wagner Group. And just one point on China, we talk all the time about Chinese military modernization um, and how the Chinese are you know, soon to overtake the United States. It's true that the Chinese military looks great on paper, but wars aren't fought on paper, mm, uh, right? That's a great line. A little proof of concept to me uh, to see that, you know, reasons why we would be so concerned that the Chinese would all of a sudden usurp U.S. power and primacy in, in certain parts of the world. Yeah, and I was actually, it's interesting you make that point. I was just now reading um, some analyses of the, the Pentagon's new assessment of China's military power. And it, and it does note that China is increasingly training its sites beyond the Asia-Pacific or the Indo-Pacific. But it does, it does still say that China's military modernization is still principally focused on consolidating what it believes to be its core national interests uh, in the region. Uh, it's thinking about Taiwan. It's thinking uh, about the South China Sea, the East China Sea. So even though its military modernization is continuing apace, it's still focused on, uh, still focused on its immediate neighborhood. And and just the last point I would make on on the Middle East, I think if you look at just the number of vectors of chaos that have befallen the region, they the, that, that confluence of chaos, it kind of militates against the conclusion that any one actor, whether the United States, China, or Russia, uh, would come to be able to wield total predominance in that region. Yeah, I agree. It looks like we're up against time, but I'd say for all the talk of pivoting to Asia, the U.S. has been stuck in the quicksand of the Middle East. Now China and Russia may be too.